How's everybody doing? Let me ask that again. <laughs> How's everybody doing? All right, all right. Um, I'm really excited and uh, trepidatious to get into today's sermon. Uh, a rule of thumb for me is the rougher the week, the more significant the sermon. Um, and I, I know myself I've had a challenging week. I've met with several folks in our church that have had a challenging week, which lets me know that today God has a word for us in this challenging season. And so I want to encourage you. I think we should pay attention with all our hearts anytime the word of God is preached. But in particular, I want to invite you to lean in a little extra today because I really do believe God has something to say to us. We're going to continue from James chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 12. It says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? to judge your neighbor. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before your word with expectant hearts. We ask that you would speak to us, meet us, help us to hear your voice clearly. Lord, we come under your authority, your lordship, and Lord, we ask that you would have your way. Lord, if anyone here, Lord, does not know you, does not serve you, is looking from the outside in, Lord, I pray that they would sense your grace wrap around them. And Lord, may we all come to your table and be with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to propose a, a reflective question. Um, how many would say that 2020 was a year to remember. Uh, that's the biggest understatement of life, right? Um, some, some folks would argue that what we saw in society 
was because of the extreme anomaly that this past year was. That it was so extra, so intense, so out of the ordinary, which it was all of those things. Therefore, that's, what's, it, that's what explains the extra stuff that came out of us. Uh, recently, I was actually in Portland, Oregon, and I was in the downtown area where, if you remember, the rioting and the looting got to such an extent that they actually set up uh, like a little town that the cops couldn't come in and out of. It was a crazy scene. It was eerie to go into a downtown area that was once bustling like Manhattan and to see no one there now. Business is gone, absolutely devastating. One would argue that maybe 2020 was just that extra that it brought that out, but actually, if we're honest and we look historically, what we saw happen in 2020 in various ways has happened throughout history. It's nothing new. Perhaps 2020 was a little extra gasoline than normal. Perhaps it was an extra intensifying situation that brought more out of us in a shorter time. But actually, nothing new. So much so that James, in this text, alludes to, to this very reality when he's writing to people that have suffered persecution, have lost homes, have, have been uprooted from their life because of their faith in Jesus, and he's teaching them how to have a grounded faith in Christ. And this is what's amazing. People that have lost their homes, have lost their way of life, are trying to struggle to make, to reestablish themselves. They seem to still have time to fight. Did you hear the opening words? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Like, think about that. You're running for your life. The government's coming after you because of your faith in Jesus. They're going to kill you. You've had to say bye to home, and you still have time to fight. You still have time to quarrel among you as a church. This is what James is addressing. Why, why, do we have, why did they have time to fight in the midst of such a crazy situation? And why... Can we look at 2020 not just as an anomaly or an extreme situation, but actually a more intensified look into the human soul to see what was always there? Because what James says is that quarrels and tensions weren't just the results of social forces. He goes deeper. He's trying to get us to say, don't just write off the way you have been acting what you've been seeing in society as just, these are just the stressors of our time. How many have ever had a bad week, and as a result of that bad week, that's your write-off for your, you know, like crusty attitude, right? Just like, I'm so sorry, I just had a stressful day, you know, or, you know, I'm, uh, you, you caught me before coffee, I'm sorry, you know, and I'm a nicer person after 11, and, 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 we, and, and we could say, you know, normally our world isn't like this, normally things aren't this bad, it's just extra. But James is saying, don't, if we, if we look at what he's saying, he's calling us to not just write off what we saw as the results of extreme circumstances, even though they may be shaped by things that are happening around us, he diagnoses what's happening inside the church quite profoundly. He asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I think we should pay attention because how many have tensions in your life relationally? I, I, I think all of us can nod to that. 
whether it's with family, whether it's at work, whether it's with people you've never met but you know through a screen because they post certain things or they write certain articles or they take certain stances. The tensions abound. James is saying, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And I need to say, which at, at times I might have leaned toward this answer, but James actually corrected that in me. At times I would think the problem with so much tension is that people are either too conservative or too liberal, where they're co-opted by political parties instead of being under the king, kingship of Jesus. I think there's some truth to that, but actually James gets even more specific. He says, why are there quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Here's why it's incomplete to just say that the tensions and the divisions we see in our world are just the results of social circumstances. And here's why it's incomplete to say that the tensions we have relationally, whether it's in our marriages, with our kids, with our bosses, with our coworkers, our neighbors, are just the result of forces outside of us. James says, if you want to know what causes it, it's the desires within you that battle inside of you. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I have desires. Now that's awkward, right? <laughs> like keep those desires on the other side of that chair. It, it, <laughs> as awkward as that was, I intentionally wanted you to say that because unfortunately for various reasons, sometimes we're not honest about the fact that we have desires inside of us. And when we're not honest about desires that are inside of us, desires that are causing these tensions, then we could never manage our desires. We manage so many things. We manage habits, we manage theological statements, but we often don't manage desire. Why? It's too messy, it takes time, but often we just don't want to be real about them. I've been uh, consistently seeing a therapist since last year, December. Twice a month, been one of the most helpful things I've ever done for myself. Uh, it's, it's been said, whatever you don't say, you end up storing. And it's been a powerful thing to just have someone to process things. I went to therapy for a lot of reasons, but specifically I knew that I had a lot of unprocessed pain particularly around the birth of my daughter. That was a very disorienting season. I've shared that with uh, many of you in different settings. But also, there's no way you grow up the way I grew up and don't have some scars to show it. There's no way you grow up the way you grow up and go through the things that you've gone through. No one is making it out of this without some tending that needs to be applied to our wounds. And one of the things that's been uncomfortable but healthy is the pressing of this professional to just get me to be honest and say, what's happening inside of you? I tend to dismiss things. I tend to keep it moving because I got people to care for. I got things to do. And often in that, the spirit of that, there's things that can be untended to. That's where I'm at. 
Where are you with the desires that are inside of you that James says it's these desires, not just things outside of us, that are causing these tensions, these quarrels, these divisions, these desires that are battling within us. And notice, it, it, it's, he just doesn't just leave it there. He actually goes a bit deeper and gives us some language. I want you to hear what James says. He says, verse 2, you desire but do not have, so you kill. Now, keep in mind, um, I've read tons of commentaries on this. The language he's referring to, it's intentionally like hyperbole. He's, he's trying to stir up our emotions to get to the place where we're not in denial of what this could be. They weren't literally killing each other. That would be a really sucky church experience to go to. You go to church, nah, man, last week so-and-so got stabbed. You know, like it's, that, that's not what was happening. But he's saying these tensions can escalate to that point. Take it serious. He's trying to get their attention. But look what he says. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want. <laughs> what James is describing right there is a human soul with unmet needs. And those unmet needs are the source of the war inside of us that causes the quarreling and the tension and the fighting. It's the unmet needs of the human heart that cause all our divisions, all our fighting, all our slander. Later on in these verses, he says, don't slander one another. What would cause someone to talk down, demean somebody, rip their reputation in front of others, except for the fact an unmet need of affirmation in themselves? Why do some people tear down others so incessantly? Chances are it's because they don't feel affirmed. They don't feel seen. And they don't want anybody else to be seen. The unmet desires of the human heart are at the cause of all these tensions. Underneath the racism, underneath the classism, underneath all these things that we put labels on and say, this is what's causing the fracture in our society at a deeper human level, underneath those demonic lies that, that perpetuate in our world, underneath it, if you look for the human soul in it, you'll find unmet needs that are at the heart of all that is stirring about us. I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable question. And it may be uncomfortable because, by and large, as New Yorkers, we're too busy for our own good. We only stop to then go more. We're always on the run. And we typically don't take time to look at the dashboard of our life and see where things are at. But if you would do that just for a moment, could you just search your heart and, and hear me, to have unmet needs doesn't mean you're not trusting in Jesus, doesn't mean that you're not spiritual, doesn't mean that you don't love the Lord, it's not a sign of immaturity. I know some folks don't want to go in these places because they'll be like, does that mean I'm not reading the Bible enough? Because uh, if I read the Bible enough, that means I'll never have an unmet need. That's actually not how it works, but we can have that conversation another time. It, some people think that 
it, it, the, the, the brokenness and the struggles in their life is completely due to the fact that they're not spiritual enough. I can tell you I know some incredibly spiritual people that have unmet needs in their life. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Just take 30 seconds. Sit with yourself in the presence of God and answer this question to yourself. What are my unmet needs? What are my unmet needs? Just take a moment. For some of us, stuff is coming up. I, I have a need to be seen. I don't feel like I'm fully known. To be loved. To be affirmed. I have a need to rest. I have a need to not have to justify myself in every situation. It, What's the unmet need? And then a second question. How are you meeting Jesus in the space of your unmet need? We all have unmet needs. And here's the tension. Something or someone is going to try to meet that need. And right now, whether the, even though the need is unmet, you and I are on a course to get that need met. It will not remain unmet. There, there's a searching in you and I to get that need met. The problem is typically we tend to attach ourselves to things or people or circumstances other than Jesus to try to meet these needs. But make no mistake, your need for affection, for affirmation, for love, for acceptance, you're going you're gonna to meet that need some way or another. The tragedy is when we meet that need apart from Jesus. There was a famous quote said long ago that when a man goes and knocks on the door of a brothel, he's going there to meet God. And what that quote speaks of is the fact that deep down inside, this person that's going to seek out physical intimacy with someone outside of the bonds of God's word and parameters, what they're really ultimately searching for is God but they're unfortunately trying to find God at the wrong place in a misguided way. Why is this relevant? Because James says it doesn't, the, the, the unmet needs, the desires that are battling inside of us are not just the source of our tensions, and he doesn't just go further to describe the soul of a person who has unmet needs. You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. But look what he says. You do not have because you do not ask God. Look at where the rabbit hole takes us. Eventually, the quest to seek out fulfillment for our unmet needs, if we're not aware, will impact our relationship with God. Because James says what happens, what's happening to them and what's happening to us is that eventually you end, up, you end up stop going to God. We cease to go to God to meet those needs. He says, you don't, you don't even ask God anymore. 
You have all these unmet needs, and he says, but you don't even ask God to meet these needs anymore. So has the situation reached a really sad state. See, he's pointing out that it's not just human relationships that get into trouble because of these unmet needs, but actually our relationship with God gets into these troubles. And the first thing that affects our relationship with God, he says, you ask not. Let's unpack that for a moment. Unmet needs, unmet desires, cause us to stop praying when we begin to meet those needs through other means. Unmet needs, unmet desires will cause us to stop going to God when we try to meet those needs in another way. I remember not so long ago I was talking with a pastor who I had seen kind of the trajectory of his life and ministry, and it was a beautiful thing to see. He, uh, one of the sincerest guys I ever met, um, and just gave it all for Jesus and trying to establish a strong church. And, and the church that he established grew, and, and it, many years into it, his name was known by many. He was just a strong, integrous leader. But then eventually there was a tragic crash. His life began to unravel. And I was surprised by the answer he gave when I asked, what happened? When did this shift? When did this drift? You're not ready for the answer. I wasn't ready for it. He said, I couldn't stop binge-watching shows. And at first I was like, I was a little offended. Here's why I was offended. I'm like, I'm sincerely asking. I'm taking time from my family, my church, to care for you, and you're going to give me a surface answer like that? Like, bro, we've known each other for years. Like, let's be real. But then he unpacked it, and I realized he wasn't being surface. Actually, this is what he said said, eventually, what I kept doing is I kept drowning out the whisper of God calling me to pray by having the noise of all these stories and all these shows. He described that he would crowd every waking moment he had when he wasn't actively doing stuff with his family or church, when he could have been with Jesus, praying, seeking God, resting, doing other things. He kept just drowning out the invitation of God to come to him. Some of you are like, man, I'm going to go home and cancel my Netflix subscription. It, that's between you and God. But what, that, the point is not Netflix or streaming. The point is, what in your life is trying to take the place of God, trying to promise you, I will meet that need, and, and in essence, Cut your legs off from going to God in prayer. Right now, if you assess those unmet needs in your life and ask yourself, how am I meeting those needs? If you're not going to God in prayer to get those needs met, unfortunately, it means we're going somewhere else to get those needs met. 
And those things that are occupying our souls, numbing, drowning out the voice of God, distracting us, what they're doing is trying to replace God in our life. They're trying to become our functional Savior, our functional God. And that's the tricky space, is that you can profess that you believe in Jesus, that He is Lord, yet functionally put your trust in something else. We could sing of His goodness, but trust in something else to meet our needs. And James is saying all of this stuff is at the heart of why there's so much tension, why there's so much division, why there's so much brokenness. Could it be that the relationship you struggle with, could it be that the struggle in that relationship is not just because they're so broken, but could it be because you're broken? Could it be that it's not just because they need to grow up, but could it be because there's unmet needs in your heart and maybe you're trying to get them met through that, through that relationship and don't want to face the sad truth that they will never meet that need? There's a sad day that has to happen in all of our lives when we bury the expectation that someone could fulfill in us what only God can. But it's a liberating day. One of the best days that could ever happen in a marriage, in a relationship, is when you lay down the expectation that this other person could meet something in you that only God could meet. And it's hard. I, I, I get why he kept going to Netflix. Because on some levels that was immediate, quick, easy. He didn't have to face pain. He didn't have to meet his unmet desires and kind of process that. No, you just, just numb, just numb, just distract, just distract. But eventually that caused there to be a disconnection from God. But that's not the only way that these unmet desires, unmet needs impact our life. First, they cause relational tension among us, but then it begins to impact our relationship with God. The first way is it causes us to stop going to God, to stop asking, says you don't ask. You stop going to God to be the source, to be the supplier, the provider of those needs. But secondly, these unmet needs tempt us to use God. Look at what James says. It says, you covet, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now James is telling us the second way these unmet needs impact our relationship with God. The second way is that our unmet needs tempt us to use God. Our unmet needs tempt us to use God. Now let me be clear. Does God want to comfort us? Absolutely. Does he want to rescue us? Absolutely. Does he want to shower us with his love even when we don't deserve it? Is he always pursuing us? Yes, yes, yes. Does he want to heal you? Does he want to provide for you? Yes. Does he want to be used in order for us to get those things? No. But these unmet desires 
tempt us to end up using God for comfort, for success, for pleasure. And here's the concern that we have to be aware of. When God is reduced to the means for us to get good things, then the good things become God in our life. If God is the means for you to get a good marriage, then a good marriage has become your God. If God is the means for you to get forward in your career, then forward motion in your career is actually your functioning God. If God is the pathway out of singleness for you, then, then being out of singleness is what your functional God is. Whatever the thing that we're trying to use God to get, if we're not careful, those unmet needs will cause us to reduce God to a means to get something rather than just being God. These are the problems. These are the tensions. What's the solution? I love the fact that James does not mince any words. Go back and read these verses again. He calls us adulterous people. It says friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God. But look at what he says in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What's the solution? First thing, we have to submit ourselves to God. I realize that that word submit has a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage, and for some there's a lot of resistance. However, it's a biblical word. It's a concept from Scripture that whether it's easy to wrestle with or not, we have to wrestle with it. And I think it's interesting that the language of serving God here is one of submitting to God, coming under his lordship, resting your desires, your will, your thoughts, your plans at his feet. I think that's something that we can't just run by and pass over. And I think it's something we have to pause and just take hold of because the sad truth in our day is that it is often communicated that it's possible for people to have a relationship with God apart from submitting to God. Hear me, God will love you even if you spit at his face till your last breath, but he won't be able to have a relationship with you if that's your posture. God will love you and his heart will bleed even if you resist him your whole life, but it doesn't mean you were able to taste of grace and be transformed and actually live a life of abundance and flourishing that he promises for those of us that are in relationship with him. Looking around the room, everybody's of age. Um, I would call this form of relating to God 
I would call it fornication spirituality. It's intimacy without covenant. It's an idea that you can get to know someone outside of the bounds of covenant. This is not God's idea. If you want to know God, if you want to walk with him, if you want to really taste of his grace, we have to submit. We have to say the words that Jesus said in his final prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Have you prayed that lately? I mean, but like really prayed it because like when you're in the tension of God, I really want this, but I feel no peace from you to go there. But yet, God, not my will, but your will be done. The second thing that James tells us is that we have to draw near to God. Read the language there. He's, he's describing this beautiful interaction that we get to have with God. He says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now keep in mind, the gospel, the, the foundation of our relationship with God is what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so make, let's make it clear, God doesn't draw near to us because we've drawn near to him. Because if that was the case, then he would have never come and rescued us and pursued us. God is always drawing near to us even if we're running away from him. But what James is describing, and this is the beautiful thing, you can be as close to God as you want to. No one can put a limit on how intimate and close you are to God. Because James is saying, if you want to draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. But the converse is true. If you want to have a 10-foot away relationship with God, then you're forcing him to have that kind of relationship with him. Even though he wants to come close to you and be your everything and be your source. But if we don't recognize that God's calling us to have this close relationship and that the barriers are, are removed, we have unmitigated access to his presence. You, can, you and I can be as close to God as we want to. No limit, nothing's stopping us. Nothing's in the way because the, the greatest barrier that was in the way has been removed because of the cross. Your sin, my sin, our shame, that was the only thing that was hindering a vibrant relationship with God. And now James is saying, you and I can be as close to God as we want to. How many want to get closer to God? Nothing can stop you from doing that. God welcomes you. God loves when we pursue him. Study the scriptures. There's so many things that happen miraculously at moments that look like unplanned prayer. I'll give you one example. Acts chapter 10. This unplanned moment of prayer. It's kind of impromptu. Peter goes up into his rooftop and he prays while a meal is being made for him. And at that moment he has the revelation that changes the course of history where God says, don't call people unclean that I've called clean and now all of a sudden Jew and Gentile are part of the same church. Can I tell you that there are so many amazing things that could happen in your walk with God and mine in moments of unplanned prayer. In moments where I just want to be with God. I don't have to make a big fanfare about it. 
I just take these 15 minutes from my lunch, or I'm walking and, and I can just talk to God, go food shopping. And while I'm going up and down the aisles, you should see me in the supermarket. I look like a crazy person. I don't care. I'll go up and down the supermarket. I'm talking to Jesus. In the car, I have meetings with God in the car. You kind of have to when you live as far as I do. (laughs) It, It doesn't have to be when we're here. It could be in the unscripted moments that we have this kind of access with God. And lastly, what James says, that as a result of submitting to God and drawing near to him, and him drawing near to us, we can actually humble ourselves. Notice he said, humble yourself. Don't slander someone else. What makes it possible for you and I to not slander someone else is to have a humble awareness of who we are. One of the reasons why it will become increasingly difficult for you and I, if you want to come to a place where it's difficult for you to slander someone else or talk bad about someone else or let somebody talk bad about someone else in your presence, let me give you a key. Allow God to show you how broken you are and then you get to the point of how would I ever have the nerve to judge this person? And why would I ever let someone else put them down when we're all broken? When we submit ourselves to God, when we draw near to God, then it's possible to humble ourselves, which empowers us to relate to people based on how God relates to us. How amazing would it be if people related to you based on how God relates to them? Imagine if people treated you the way God treats them, with kindness, with grace, with compassion, but now reverse it. How transformative would it be for you and I to treat others based on how God treats us? When we get to this place of submitting ourselves to God, of drawing near to him based on what Jesus has done, not our works, not our performance, and we experience this humility, then we're finally on the path of hope to deal with all these tensions, these quarrels, these fights, these divisions. They don't just come from outside forces. They come from within. But today I want to invite us to direct our unmet needs to the only one that could fully meet them. Could I invite us to stand at this time as the worship team comes forward? As we stand, can I invite you to just open your hands in the presence of God? I want to invite you to In essence, imagine you bringing your unmet needs to God right now. One, you have to admit you have them. One, you have to name them and say, God, I have these unmet needs, these unmet desires. Lord, I bring them to you. 
I bring them to you, Jesus. Because I don't want anything else or anyone else to try to meet these needs. Because I know ultimately they'll fall short. Jesus. Right now, I truly believe as you're coming before the presence of God and bringing these unmet needs that, and asking him to meet these needs, that this is the moment, that there's a potential from this moment for there to be a ripple effect for all the relationships in your life. For some of us, we have to leave this moment and return to relationships and say, I've put a God-sized expectation on you that you could never meet. Some of us have to go to our careers and, and realize I've put an expectation on my career to meet something in me that only God could meet. We have these unmet needs and all these things are trying to meet them, but right now, let Jesus and Jesus alone begin to meet them. Be honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm lonely. I'm tempted to meet that need in so many different ways, but today I come and say, Lord, meet that need. I'm insecure, I'm depressed, I'm, I'm stressed, I have anxiety, I'm worried. Lord, I bring that to you, meet these needs. Jesus, Jesus. With your heart open to the Lord, right now begin to ask God to meet those needs. As James says, that, that's your trajectory. We begin to stop. We begin to cease asking God to meet those needs. Right now, begin to ask him again. Lord, meet my needs. Meet these needs in me, Jesus. I don't want to go to this source or that source. I want to go to the ultimate source, which is you, your love, your grace. Meet these needs, Jesus. Meet these needs. And Jesus, would you help me to not use you just so these needs get met? But Lord, may I, may I encounter you, may I know you, may I love you. And in doing so, those needs will get met. Jesus. Lord, touch every relationship that's represented in this room, especially the ones that have tension and quarrel and fighting. Every marriage, every child-parent relationship, every neighborly relationship, whether near or distant, Jesus, we quarrel because of unmet needs, desires within. Would you rescue us, save us? As we begin to worship, I want to encourage you, anyone that's here, that you, would need, that you have a need for prayer, whether it's connected to the message or anything else that's stirring, I can't encourage you enough. As we're worshiping, as we're singing, just slip out of your seat and go to the back, to my left, your right, and they would love to pray with you. I promise you, if you're self-conscious and you don't want to slip out of your seat, no one is going to be paying attention to you because we are paying attention to Jesus in these next few moments. Don't miss out an opportunity to receive prayer if the Lord is knocking on your heart. Let's sing. Let's bring our prayer, our cry to God at this time. 
night and day. Lay. 